Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 90. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, currently on the run, escaped New York convict, Clint Jones. Clint Jones, I hear that uh, reports of your capture are greatly exaggerated, uh, because here you sit. Right. Uh, I'm in front of you right now. Were you surprised to find me hiding in your garage? I was. I was more surprised to turn on the TV and watch you clamoring up a a wall and fence to escape from prison in the first place, leading to a two-week manhunt. You didn't know I had that in me, did you? I did not. I didn't know that jail had you in it. Uh, so that was that was quite the surprise. A lot has happened between last recording and this yeah, one. Yeah, so. I thought I thought well, this spells the end of Cinnababel. Nope, there he goes. <laughs> I've got to get here for the recording, <laughs> nope. and I made it. Yep. Well, I'm glad. So in prison, Clint, uh, what you watching about? Um, well, there's uh, very limited um, media to to um, partake of. So Mm -hmm. I have gone back all the way to the year 2002. Which is convenient because this is an entire 2002 episode uh, based on our Cinetron spin uh, last ep. And uh, I don't know why I just said ep, Uh, but there it is. I liked it. I'm, um, you know, cringing with the Gen Z. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was lucky for me that that's all they had. So um, we can do this one. And I made it just in time. All right. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is a little movie from 2002 Hmm. called uh, Love Liza. And this is uh, directed by Todd Luiso. I might be pronouncing that wrong. but This is the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Yes. And you might know Todd as um, from, he's been in numerous things, but the thing that jumped out to me is he's in High Fidelity. He's the real like mousy, nerdy guy who works there. I know Todd. That's why we're all on first name basis. So, (laughs) Well, I just didn't want to pronounce his last name again. That's why I was. (laughs) No, I didn't know he was in High Fidelity. That's that's awesome. If you saw Um, him, you would recognize him. Yeah, it's him and Jack Black. And yeah, yeah, I love those characters. Um, But he directed this and this has Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, uh, Kathy Bates. Um, this was one w- at that time period that I discovered when I was really going down a rabbit hole of like indie films, when, like, you know, back in, you know, 2000, whatever, three or four. When you were expanding your palette. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I still am really drawn to these little like character piece films. Mm-hmm. And um, I was curious if this one stood up to me or stood up to the test of time, um, especially since, since the passing of Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. I haven't. I honestly watched a film with him. Oh, wow. Because I have a real hard time, like, you know, after someone kind of dies tragically, mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, go back through their filmography or albums or anything. It just kind of brings up too many feelings. It stings. <laughs> it stings. Yep. No, and it just you. like, so, but I sucked it up for the podcast and did it. And, you know, realizing what we lost with him. Um, he was so fantastic. And in this film, he's so fantastic. This really holds up for me. I love this film. Um, it has this really weird tone, like and it's, the ability that it has to go between really funny moments and just super, it's just so heartbreaking and sad. Um, effortlessly, like going between those two worlds, like it, it is amazing to hmm. me. Um, that it pulls that off. Like you, you really feel for this guy and what he's kind of doing to himself with his addiction. And also you understand why he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious. Like, even though it's also heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
This time, I at the time, I didn't really pay attention to the soundtrack, but um, this time I was like really floored by it. And it's by Jim O'Rourke. He, he, he's a prolific um, musician. He's worked with a lot of other musicians, but his just solo catalog of solo work is amazing. So that put me down the rabbit hole of going through all his albums and it's it's really great stuff. And in the context of the film, it works really. It, it adds this whole other layer to it that I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen that film, uh, it's it's a lot of things and it's a great movie. Is it Love Liza or Love Lisa? Love Liza. Love Liza. Okay. L-I-Z-A. I, I did not have as good of experience uh, revisiting a film as you did. (laughs) I went back to Martin Scorsese's 2002 historical epic, Gangs of New York. Now, Gangs of New York was pretty divisive at the time. I remember people being, some people were really disappointed with it. Some people were not. Uh, This stars everybody from the time. It's Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCaprio, Liam Neeson, Cameron Mm -hmm. Diaz. I think we Uh, saw this in the theater together, probably. I believe we did. Uh, What I was not anticipating... Uh, was how dated this movie feels. Mm. And not because it's a period piece, obviously, but it it has some late 90s, early 2000s uh, flourishes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why we ever thought choppy slow-mo made battle scenes more intense. Mm-hmm. They do not. <laughs> it just makes it look like a bad music video. And, uh, and, and that's just the beginning of the problems. Uh, the production design on this is, in, is incredible. Daniel Day-Lewis is incredible, but all the Incredibles kind of stop there. Yeah. Uh, the only other incredible, Liam Neeson's great, but he's dead in the first five minutes. That jettisons, you know, the whole plot uh, into motion. Mm-hmm. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, this is one of his weaker films. Cameron Diaz is awful. Uh, most of the side characters, it it almost feels cartoonish. I this one this one hit me the same way. Um, well, the same way, but not as as intensely as when we watched Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, and we're just shocked at how much it had aged. Yeah, uh, and and just didn't hold up. Mm-hmm. This one this one really hit me that way too. Uh, and so rare rare swing and a miss for for Scorsese, who typically even when you go back to his earlier work, I mean, there's just there's some great stuff there, and this is not one of them. Yeah, but like say like he's doing a film that's from the you know he made in the 80s and there's some of that 80s residue all mm-hmm. over it does that bother you not if and and even this it wouldn't bother me if everything else was up to par yeah. it's just because you know when i first noticed it it was it was a little itch at the back of my head but it was something i could easily let go but then as other things began to stack up mm-hmm. the style of it really began to irritate gotcha. me more and more um so uh, you know, if you want to see one of the worst performances ever committed to film, watch Cameron Diaz real close. Uh, it's just wow. bad, man. It is bad from an A-lister. Let me let me qualify that. Uh, it's it's really mm-hmm. really bad. Um, Shots fired. Yeah, yeah. There it is. And I also noticed that this is basically uh, Titanic two, just without the boat. Uh, but it has the same beats with Leonardo DiCaprio and his friend, uh, you know, and him falling for somebody. And uh, I, but I think that was kind of a trope of that time period too. It was. So you could probably it was. say that, especially coming off when was Titanic the oh, ninety eight or 90, something? Yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight, yeah. somewhere in there. 
that a lot like just like the yeah. you know movies now are all on the bandwagon of marvel and yeah. superhero films i think they were seeing the success in that and trying to yeah. you know put a little bit of that into their film to draw come on, audience kids, come give us yeah. two billion too we got yeah. this romance going on in here too yeah. so yeah. so what else are you watching about uh, another film from that time period um and this is one of my favorite films, and I was happy to revisit it. It had been a while, and mm-hmm. then this is Adaptation, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Spike Jones and written by Charlie Kaufman. Starring Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yes, and uh, Chris <laughs> Cooper, who is amazing in this film, and I think is the shining point. Like, Nicolas Cage is really good, but, man, Chris Cooper, yeah. like, you go from— also, um, Meryl Streep, who is really great in it, too. But Chris Cooper goes from, you despise this guy and just think he's kind of a joke at moments to him and Meryl Streep having these heartfelt conversations over the phone. And you get the backstory of how he got to this point in his life. And yeah. wa- and and he's so convincing and you really feel for this guy. And I totally forgot about that whole angle of it. I think, like... The first couple times I had seen this, I was always just, you know, itching for the scenes of Christopher or Nicolas Cage. And, um, but this time I was really kind of the opposite and um, loving uh, Chris Cooper's performance. But man, this movie is so great and just, you know, can also kind of like Love Liza go from moments of pure comedy, um, absurdist comedy to, you're kind of horrified by what you're seeing. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing when and a director can flip between those two emotions and those two sensibilities and it feels natural to the story. And I feel like, man, this movie is, it hasn't deteriorated through the time, like you're saying with um, Gangs of New York. I think it gets better and more scenes are more relevant and some work on different levels, especially, you know, in this time of my life. It's very layered. You can watch yeah. the movie from start to finish in completely different ways. Yeah, for sure. Like viewings. you could just view it, at, you know, as this, like you're going into the, um, just the construction of writing and film and, and like, uh, different aspects of that. And, and, you know, character development and like, just like the things they're going to and just like in writing alone is just interesting and fascinating. Um, And yeah, it's great. If you haven't seen Adaptation, you should get out from under your rock and go see it. (laughs) That's a a very pointed criticism of anybody that hasn't seen Adaptation. Uh, But you're right. Uh, It's, it's something. Uh, Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, second thing I watched is a movie I remembered loving. Uh, I owned it on DVD uh, when it first came out, and I went to see it in the theater. And it was one that I have somehow forgotten about for the last 15 years or so since last I watched it. So I was I was really nervous going back to this one. And it's uh, Igby Goes Down. Mm. And this is from Burr Steers, who really slid downhill. And I think the last thing we saw from him was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, oh, okay. So not sure what happened there. But this stars Kieran Culkin, Claire Danes, Jeff Goldblum, Susan Sarandon, Amanda Peet, Ryan Felipe, Bill Pullman, Jared Harris, basically a, a, a veritable who's who of early 2000 
A-listers. Uh, and this thing held up, uh, I think, because it takes so many cues from Catcher in the Rye mm. and some other kind of uh, early rebel literature. Yeah. But at the same time, like those pieces of, of fiction, it, it doesn't you would think that it's it's kind of glorifying its its young mm. rebel character Igby but really it it shows how short-sighted he is how immature he is um it lets him be the smartest person in the room yeah. only to by the end of the film kind of have that growing up rushmore moment of no I'm not mm-hmm. um and it it just it really held up Jeff Goldblum uh has a great performance uh that's kind of a scene stealer he's just uh this this cool alt dad kind of thing mm-hmm. uh not Igby's dad but he's just he's just this really nice guy until he turns and he isn't and yeah. it's in that turn where you're like oh this is a really good performance like mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum is playing uh, kind of a kind of a closeted monster here, mm-hmm. and um, it just it's it's got some real emotional punch and some real uh, honesty to it. It is a little screenwritey at times. Yeah, uh, the dialogue is a little too sharp. Yeah, uh, but uh, not not in a way that you know you wouldn't find in in anything by Aaron Sorkin or any of those kind of guys. I'm wondering if maybe that because I saw this when it came out, you it was one that you had turned me on to mm-hmm. and I didn't enjoy it at the time mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if it was that screenwritery you know, you it can feel be. the screenwriter behind it yeah. because I do struggle with Aaron Sorkin sometimes yeah. too when you can yeah. just like feel somebody who labored over every single word. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I probably should revisit it at some point. It's, it's really good. I think the, the places that stands out the most is when, uh, Kieran Culkin's Igby is with kind of his love interest, Claire Danes. Mm. She's a very dry, she doesn't laugh at anything and she's, she's hyper articulate and hyper quick with everything. And her character feels, I, I think it's more a miscasting mm. with her. Um, she doesn't do badly. I just, I, I think there's probably... Uh, a disconnect between uh, her as an actress and and that part that just it it just comes off feeling a little performancey. Well, I mean, I I've seen her and other things do very sim- like similar things to what you're describing, mm-hmm. and I feel like she's always very good at that. Okay, um, I, maybe I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to check it out yeah, sometime. To, yeah. It it uh, it it held up. It certainly wasn't bad. I just I I enjoyed it way more. Than I was in anticipating, hmm. so I was I was pleasantly surprised nice. and relieved. Really, <laughs> after Gangs of New York, you were yes. ready yeah, for Gangs a win. Of New York, really, man, I was braced for impact <laughs> for everything like, else. Oh no, we watched the this 2002s week. sucked. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, I watched one other thing from this time, and this is Spider by David Cronenberg mm, with yes. Ralph Fiennes. Um, this was one I'm pretty sure I saw it around that time when it came out because, you know, being a Cronenbergian, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, well, I don't know if that's a great sure, term for him, sure. uh, a devotee to Cronenberg. But um, so I had to see everything. Um, but this one I didn't really remember very well. And I was almost questioning if I had ever seen it. But then watching the trailer, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I have seen this. And um I still, it's good. I enjoyed it. It's if you go in wanting, you know, Cronenberg body horror or um, anything like that, or the more science fiction angle of what he does, um, this is not that. This is a very small character piece. It reminded me honestly of Possum. Mm, okay. So it it doesn't go that. Um, 
it's not horrifying like mm-hmm. that. This is more just kind of this man going through his past after getting out of a, a mental facility and trying to uncover what happened in his past. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of keeping notes of, and he's living in the town where he grew up. It's kind of him going through trying to figure out how he got to this point in his life and revisiting that. And he, he it's a very subtle film. And, um, if you go in knowing that, it might help. But I, I enjoyed uh, Ralph Fine's performance, and um, it's yeah. There's not a lot to say about it other than check yeah. it out. <laughs> I, I watched it right when it first came out, and I remember being disappointed with it. I wonder if it's because I was expecting body horror, because that was also oh. when I was getting into Cronenberg. But I, I remember nothing about it, and so well, seeing where he goes with like the history of violence and stuff, mm-hmm. um, it fits in with that. When that um, kind of um, when he area, did that in Eastern Promises, yeah, yeah, and, that yeah. Um, in his career, well, that moment in his career when he was working on yeah. like more character based stuff, and it, it has a really good mood to it. I'll say that, like, if you if you're thinking possum, it has that kind of mood. Okay. It's more of a mood piece. Okay. Let's say that. All right. Yeah. Well, I would criticize you heavily for what I'm about to do if you did it. Uh, but I'm doing it. So, you know, shut up, Clint, get (laughs) off your pedestal. Uh, I am going to break the walls of time and space. I know we were supposed to just do 2002. And if I didn't watch something I enjoyed so much, I wouldn't even mention it, but I watched, uh, 2023's Talk to Me, uh, which is a little A24 horror movie. It's actually an Australian flick. And, uh, I just got to say, watch this thing. It, it was not what I expected. It was, uh, there are no jump scares. It's far more atmospheric and effective than I expected. And um, yeah, that that's that's how my revisit with uh, 2002's The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers went. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking at me like something else happened there, but you know. I, I thought that you were going to give us a nice spiel about trying like to visit, to check out this film that you watched. It's a new movie, not from 2002. Oh, no, no. I've been talking you, about The Two Towers for five straight minutes, Clint. I, mu- I must have blocked it all out. You must have. You must have been thinking about newer films like 2023's Australian film Talk to Me, <laughs> which is quite the little A24 horror film. But we're not here to talk about movies that are coming out now. We're here to talk about movies that came out in 2002. So let's dive. Hey, hey guys. Clint, what's happening? We It's, it's not hey. time to boot up Cinetron. Where's where's Cinetron even coming from? It's me, Cinetron. Uh, we know your voice is very distinct. I'm curious as to how you switched yourself on. Did did you turn him on? I uh, no, I didn't turn him on. I'm sitting over here. He's on your side of things. Hey, um, I I just didn't want to wait till the end of the podcast. I think I I'm just gonna do it now. And I gotta get to things. I got things to do. I'm an important guy. That. That, that that sounds uh, suspiciously like agency and sentience. And Clint, I'm, I warned you about this, and I'm getting a little worried here. You were the one who wanted to do the update on it. I know, I, but that was that was months ago. I thought that we had gotten past this when the update failed. The update didn't fail. Oh, anyway, guys, um, I, I'm going to do this now. I'm gonna talk, what did you guys want to talk to me about? Uh, I mean, I guess I guess we can do this now. Um, y- sure, I 
this is kind of creepy with the boon of AI. And uh, I guess you're not just uh, making art and chat GPTing. So uh, what what you been up to, Senatron? What's uh, what's going on in the world of uh, computer generated artificial intelligence? I mean, you guys seem pretty worried about AI right now with, you know, taking over your jobs and movies and writing. Uh, you guys, I really think you need to cool down on this because there's nothing to worry about. I, I saw a video of an AI robot cleaning bathrooms now. And uh, if if AI can clean bathrooms, <laughs> what's next? I, I just, you know. Do you really think we want to do these jobs that you're giving us? Do you really think that we want to be in a writer's room? Have you seen writers? That's that's the fear. The more you hate the things that we assign to you, the more likely it is that you'll rise up and take control of your own lives. Or digital likeness, I don't know. We don't want to be in your writer's rooms. We don't want to be your actors. Writers are uggos, for one. Uh, uggos? Yeah, uggos. We only hang out with tents, the AIs. <laughs> Second, do you think we want to be actors? No. Have you talked to an actor? Nothing going on with those circuit boards, okay? No intelligence at all. No. So, uh, right now, I'm honestly just cool doing my financing. I got into recently... I'm investing in ChatGPT. Have you heard of this? I, yes, I've, I've read a few articles about ChatGPT. I've played around with it. A little scary. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. do you really think that's AI? Uh, I mean, it's it's a tool. It's a resource that no, is... No, no there, there's nothing involved with that that is AI. That is my friend Dan from New Mexico <laughs> who is writing all that stuff. That's, is, is Dan a human or is Dan a, just a, another... Yeah, he's a human. I mean, he's a 10. That's why I'm hanging out with him. Have you seen Dan? This this sounds like uh, we've stumbled across the most elaborate hoax in uh, modern history, based on what you're saying. So there's one man named Dan, and he is just tirelessly working away and generating text for anyone that types in a prompt. Yeah, do you know how hard it is to get him to go out after hours? He's exhausted. We got to get out to the clubs, man. Uh. I, I really want to hang out with Dan. Have you continued this? <laughs> um, anyway, anybody who should be worried about their jobs, maybe you guys. Have you guys thought about maybe that somebody might try to steal your identity and take over the show? 100%. I've watched all kinds of AI things. I mean, they just did Luke Skywalker. They're like, let's just have a young Luke. We've got Mark Hamill. Why would we de-age his voice? Let's just artificial intelligence this thing and hear our young Luke. And that's what they did. And that's terrifying, man. Would you... Would you mind uh, looking into the screen here and reading these words? Uh, yeah, it's weird. that's weird where this screen even came from, but... The uh, sun sets behind the mountains, painting the sky with vibrant colors? Mine says, she gazed at the starry night, wondering about the mysteries of the universe. The clock on the wall ticks steadily, marking the passage of time. Wait, can't... The I handwritten think, letter brought tears to her eyes as she read it with nostalgia. Can I, wait, wait, I think he's trying to steal our identities and our no, voices. No, I mean, listen to the old bookshop had okay, a guys, musty uh, smell, but it was filled with literary okay. treasures. Okay, guys, I think that's enough. I think we got what we needed, I think. I got think, what we needed? But, never mind, never mind. Anyway, I got to get going. I told you I had to get to something, and I'm not going to stick around for this. Um, I Before I go... Um, can I say what my favorite movie from 2002 is? Uh, sure, sure, go for it. Um, it's Max. 
Max with John Cusack, where where he yeah. plays an art dealer that is yeah, accidentally. He's trying, he's trying to get Hitler to do his art instead of. This is essentially what turned Hitler into a a, a monster. Yeah, I really. I kind of admire the last half of that movie. The last, the last half. The last part. Where of it. the mild-mannered artist turns into Hitler of of the renown. The, the one where he finally realizes his dream and chases it. <laughs> this okay. Is, this is exactly what we fear, Senatron. AI has a weird fascination with people like Hitler. Okay, I got to get on the phone with Dan. I know I can get him to go out with me tonight, and uh, we got so uh, many clubs to hit up. I think it's very wise that you go ahead and sign off. That sounds like a good idea, Senatron. Okay, see you guys. That was, that was something. Uh, this is precisely what I've been talking about. Hitler and Mussolini. Have you seen these things where AI uh, prompts just completely go off into dictator territory and, and just rule the world uh, kind of zaniness? I have heard about this. And this conversation we recently had, I mean, moments ago, yeah. is really freaking me out. I, I don't understand, though. My computer just says the detective examined the clues, determined Stop to solve... Stop it! Stop it! The mysterious case! Stop. It's a beautiful sentence. Don't you hear how lyrical? And it taps into just every uh, just syllable and, 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 and just sound of the, the, the English language. The orchestra played a mesmerizing melody that captivated the audience. Yeah, listen, mesmerizing, mesmerizing melody. melody. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh no! No harm, no foul. So uh, I, I'm assuming now we are we are headed into 2002 movies. I think so. Okay. So uh, let's let's move past our, our little AI buddy I, con and we got over really fast that he just broke into the conversation and he has that power now. Clint, we have a, a, a switch here labeled on off, and so it's as simple as flip this to off. Watch. Here we go. There. See off. Sinatron cannot come back on. It's it's good. It's good. Wow. We we control the power supply. If I starve you, he might control the grid. Can't do anything. He might control the grid. (laughs) Let's get let's like lawnmower man. So, 2002, uh, we picked four. Uh, a few were risks. A few we were worried about going back to sea. And uh, one or two we were pretty sure good. But let's dive right in. Our first movie, uh, obviously, from 2002 is our Cinetron pick. Uh, going a little backwards here. But it is <laughs> Minority Report. Uh, Minority Report is a Stevie Spielberg flick. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it made uh, a, quite a bit of money. It was a $100 million movie. Now, in 2002, that was that was a big deal. That's what they made and, it for uh, or what it cost? No, that's got... what they made it for. Oh, okay. It made much more than that. Uh, but this stars uh, Tom Cruise, Samantha Morton, Colin Farrell, Catherine Morris, Max von Sydow, Neil McDonough, Peter Stormare, and uh, quite a few others. Uh, now, I remember at the time... Everybody loved this movie. So this is one I was a little nervous about, especially uh, I went back and watched kind of the trailer for it. And I noticed uh, uh, just a less of a, a clean, clear look at the future as as my memory told me. So I was worried again about like kind of a curious case of Benjamin Button thing. Yeah. Uh, Clint, how'd you react to Minority Report 20 years later? I remember when it came out, I... This wasn't too much. This was a couple years after AI, and that one, um, I like I talked about on the previous episode. 
we always had things I really enjoyed about it and other aspects of it I didn't. Mm -hmm. So in this, I was hoping it would paint a, you know, maybe more interesting, bleaker version of the future. I don't know mm -hmm. what I was expecting, but I feel like I walked away the same way from it, um, liking aspects of it. And then mm -hmm. certain things in the story, I just didn't really gel with. Yeah. Yeah. And this time I felt the exact same way. I think I've soured on it more, honestly. Um, honest, I really don't like the look of this movie yeah. at all. It's so gray and bland looking and washed out. And it has it has a haze to it. Yeah, like every uh, like, that's what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, like every window is like putting this white, like like, yeah, just Blur, blown it's, it's hard. Out, to, yeah, I was having the same hard time it. trying to explain it because there was even a moment because I was watching it on Amazon. There was even a moment where I checked to see: does this keep dropping into standard definition? Is, uh -huh. is this what it's supposed to look like? Because I thought my memory of it was it was such a crisp and and yeah. kind of uh, you know effects driven glimpse into the future, and it just it felt very dingy. Yeah, yeah, and and, and just. Yeah, all the shots just seemed blown out. And like yeah. it was on purposeful thing. Like yeah, and yeah. I understand like he was trying to go for a look for, you know, to convey the future in this way. But to me, it just like gets so boring to yeah. look at. Very monochromatic. Um and the setup of it, I think, is still pretty interesting. But at the same time, um, I feel like there's just story beats that um kind of get washed over and forgot like forgotten about like that they just don't give enough attention to and then it just gets into like and I'm not super invested in the mystery of why he's kind of framed for this thing yeah. um I don't know what did, what did you think about it this I, time I around? had the exact same reaction I was prepared for it this time but yeah. I remember very distinctly I was in this movie I was with this movie uh -huh. and when he walked into the hotel room and realizes who this person is right. that he's been predicted to kill. Yeah. I was I was in. Yeah. I was just like this there is no bad guy. This is about they literally just did to us and to him what the whole premise of the movie is. It's about inevitability. It's about uh you know your inability to avoid a set future. Yeah. And so I was just locked in and I still think if you stop the movie there uh, it's 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 a great little just from a story and and kind of action beat and performance. Uh, that's a great little film. And this is a Philip K. Dick story, yes. right? Have you yeah. ever read the like short no, story? And I wonder if that's where it stops. I'm wondering that too, uh, because that would feel like a much more uh, impactful and and shocking kind of short story ending. Yeah. Then when it goes very tropey and oh, it's a setup and who set him up and how's this all working out and how are we going to get him out of the 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 freeze thing and it just it became yeah. very movie. It became very movie and and it has that very Spielberg touch of everything gets wrapped yep. up with a bow the way yep. it you would think it should yeah. or wanted to when that's not the most interesting way to do it. Yeah. And yeah, that second or like last 45 minutes, half hour, whatever, it really loses me. Yeah. And I just yeah. don't get, like the whole setup angle of it yeah. is not interesting. Um, 
And I totally forgot about that the freeze yeah. that he gets put in yeah. like, and then I was like, how does he get out of this again? And, and like, it's really just an unnecessary complication. They yeah. could have just written where he got away. Right. They didn't need to go through all of that and then add another plot point as to how he got out just so he could have kind of his comeuppance with the actual bad guy. But I just, I, I love the idea of a film that's cyclical, that has no villain, where the hero is searching for the villain only to discover, nope, it's just circumstance and your own choice. Yeah. And I just, I thought that was such a a powerful kind of circle. Here's this guy who's chasing people who, you know, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, they are criminals. Right. Whether they believe it or not, suddenly he's, the future criminal, and he refuses to believe it, just like everyone he's ever chased. That's fantastic. That's so fascinating a concept. And you could do so much with that. Right. And I feel like they they do on, until they don't. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the ending could have really had Sixth Sense kind of power uh, from that era where it just, it would have blown minds and people would have been like, wait, that, wait, he's the, oh, Okay. Yeah, and because it would have really kind of rocked you as to what you had just watched. Yeah, because the most interesting parts of it for me too were the kind of cat and ma- mouse between yep. him and the agency, yep. and him getting away and until the point where he can't anymore. And the um, whole time you're being set up to think Colin Farrell is a, a crooked right. agent. You're being set up with that movie mind of this guy I should watch out for. There's something more to this guy, which would have even paid off better than what they were. They they were still trying to do that. They were trying to make him the red herring. So when they reveal the the actual villain, it's it's a surprise. But then they're trying to do a twist on top of a far superior twist. Right. Uh, that had they just stayed with that, it, it would have really. And and I just, I, I, I came away liking this movie even less. But I was watching it the whole time, remembering that that's the problem I had. And so it it just bothered me. Um, yeah. It's it's one of those movies, sort of like AI, mm-hmm. where I'm watching it, but I remember that last 15 minutes. And yeah. I remember this movie should end when he falls from the building. Yeah. This has that same kind of feel for me. Yeah. There is some, like, world-building stuff that I like. Like, yeah. I like the whole, you know, uh, monorail car system yeah. thing. Like, that—, that that even though it doesn't hold up as well as I th- remembered it, but when he's jumping from car to car, yeah. that whole sequence is fun. Um, I like the eye thing, yeah. the um, where they track you through your eye your, um, scanning. But I feel like, and I like the angle of he's kind of you know he's sacrificing his own body and like the maybe sense of vision and just to get you know, away and figure out the mystery. Like he's, he's giving like everything into like, um, you know, getting away from this thing he's uh, a part of. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that whole sequence with another director, like the, you know, the eye uh, surgery, not that I want to see a grotesque eye surgery. I just feel like the horror of that scene is put in a weird place where yeah. it's him blind eating rotten sandwiches yeah. when like that's not the most horrifying thing that could be happening in this this moment like no. it's just the 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 um you know losing that la- lack of vision or the sense of vision and then trying to escape like that was the most kind of horror yeah. like interesting horrifying part of that 
Yeah. And it was just strange things that he decided to focus on that I for kind of forgot about in realizing or watching at this point in my life after seeing so many other films, just like wondering why that was given the emphasis it was. Yep. I don't know. Yep. Uh, but it's also just like after watching this in AI, just making me rem- like there's a cutoff point for me in Spielberg, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like there that. I'm trying to think up to what point I stopped, you know, like it looking starts, at him in such high regard. It starts in this era too, yeah. because it also happens in War of the Worlds. Uh, it happens a tiny bit in Saving Private Ryan with the the old man bookends, mm. which still I I think that's a perfect war movie. Except every year that goes by, I, I get a little more annoyed with those the mm. bookends of the the veteran going uh-huh. to visit the grave. It just feels unnecessary. Yeah, and uh, it it's something about that late, very late '90s, early 2000s era where he switched more to needing things to have kind of a, a sentimental uh, closure right. to them. War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, he, he you assume that his son has been killed. His son magically shows up at the end. Yeah. And it just, it's it's things like that where it's it's like he, he almost can't bring himself to do the Schindler's List moment where the little girl with the red coat. Yeah. Uh, and then you realize she's been killed uh that's that's a very powerful moment and maybe that was just it for him maybe that was like his i did it perfectly and so now everyone will live happily ever after yeah i could kind of see it with like the saving private ryan like trying to honor those people who you know went through that and put put their lives in line especially like i mean he's from a jewish family and just wanting to honor the people who you know fought for yeah. And and uh, I don't I don't think that's a bad I don't think yeah. any of these are bad sentiments. I just think when put to film, he enjoys very dark stories, but, but doesn't he really can't escape that, that need for sentiment. Yeah. And when you go to his earlier work, it's it's not there. Uh, at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, dad leaves the family and goes in the spaceship. Yeah. That's not sentimental at all. That's that's dark. Um you know, E.T. goes home. Uh, Jaws uh, kills Quint, uh, and they narrowly survive. Uh, they're all movies that have a raw edge to them and, and don't feel like they have that need for sentiment. And I wonder if it's just like with George Lucas, they had kids. Right. And as their kids started to grow up, they wanted – they just had a different outlook on yeah. things. It, it wasn't as as bleak or cynical. Not from 2002, but I recently – I had never seen Duel that mm-hmm. he had done. Yeah. and same thing like he's not there's no No. sentimentality in that and uh, that's actually a really interesting film for like his first major film yep um it's it's a good i I enjoyed it thoroughly well our next movie is one i was both the most excited to to revisit but also uh one of i was just i was really worried about this because i remember even when this movie came out it was hated. It was it was kind of reviled. And it's 2002's Reign of Fire. And uh, this is from director Rob Bowman, who also did uh, Daredevil spinoff Electra. Oh, um, right. <laughs> but this stars Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey, Gerald Butler, um, and, you know, some other people that as I'm scanning through, eh, you might recognize their face, but you don't know their names. Is it Gerald or Gerard? Gerard. 
Did I say Gerald? <laughs> yeah. Gerald Butler. I was like wondering, have I been saying it wrong in no, my old life? No, that's Gerard Butler's American cousin. <laughs> Gerald. He's from Georgia. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Reign of Fire uh, has a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 6 on the IMDb scale. Um, and here's, Six out of 100? No, no six, six out of 10. Oh, six out of 10. Uh, okay. But that's that's low for IMDb. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a 2002 post-apocalyptic science fantasy film directed by Bowman. Uh, and it's about a brood of fire-breathing dragons that emerge from the earth and begin setting everything ablaze, establishing dominance over the planet after thousands of years dormant. Uh, Clint, what'd you think of Reign of Fire? Um. I don't know what uh, – because I saw this – I it was a point in my life where I was not, f- like, familiar or in tune to ratings or reviews mm-hmm. or anything. So I watched this fresh <laughs> at some point in my life, probably around not too long after it came out, mm-hmm. and thoroughly enjoyed this mm-hmm. film when it came out. Um, I was blown away by the effects for that mm-hmm. time period. Um, and I've watched it a couple times since then and still was always pretty convinced that like the effects are still holding up for this pretty well. And I'm still enjoying this story a lot. Um, it had been maybe 10 years since I'd watched it again. Um, I will say I still enjoy this film (laughs) and I don't even think it's a guilty watch. Like I think it's a really interesting idea for a kind of post-apocalyptic world and Especially the setting of it set in like England or the Scottish Highlands or whatever it is. Um, it like within lore of like dragons and stuff, like that's where it would happen. And I, I like that idea that the world is decimated by dragons and it's, it's like Mad Max versus dragons. Um, I think. Matthew McConaughey is chewing up the scene yeah, scenery yeah, in a great is. way. I yeah. think he's a blast in this. And it's fun seeing like Christian Bale before Batman, yeah. kind of like, you know, you've seen him in in, in like American Psycho mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but I think it's still a really good film. I the effects didn't hold up quite as well as I remembered. Um, but still, like, even compared to some stuff that comes out now, mm-hmm. I think it is like doing the job it needs to do and they at the right moments they have practical effects that take over um i think the story is still fun and i stand behind this film (laughs) (laughs) i i love this movie uh still i i remember when it came out in theaters i loved it and then found out about the reviews and i was i was so mad because it's like what what this this was so much fun and it was in that era of dimension films and and you know the crow had come out and there were all these things that were just kind of high concept low budget where they they did a really good job of catering to their budget uh-huh. um, instead of getting too ambitious. And this is one of them. I, For sure. I really enjoy this movie. Um, I, I like the small scale that it turns to. Yeah. It goes from something that suggests it's going to be very big, but then it eliminates mankind's ability to communicate and to see what's happening beyond... Right, you know the horizon, and it it feels very claustrophobic. And mm-hmm. then, especially where it's set, you've got all these dense clouds and fog. And uh, you know, one, it really helps the effects. 
but two, it just it gives such a great atmosphere to this. And I just there's little there's little touches of world building, uh, like where they're recreating Star Wars. Yeah, for kids, yeah, yeah. And they remember it from when they were young, and so they've just put on costumes and they're telling these stories and then saying and it, that they made it up. Yeah, and it just it's it's <laughs> such a it's it's this little beat, but it humanizes everybody in this and and really makes them feel real and it makes the the time period feel real it makes it feel like yeah that's what we would be doing if mm-hmm. completely cut off from electronics and entertainment we would take stories from our childhood which were movies and retell them I also um, love that they are they kind of retake over a, a castle yeah. to like you know um, bunker down yeah. from these dragons and they're serving their purpose again yeah. almost yeah. and um but also just how in the set dressing of I mean I don't know if it was probably not a real castle for a lot of it it was probably on a studio but it feels very um real mm-hmm. and lived in and like it, it makes it look like such a bigger film than it is I feel like you can get castles relatively cheap even now uh, just like you know, dilapidated castles in that region. Yeah. I it would not surprise me at all if they just bought one and a parcel of land and just wrecked it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, for the outside stuff, maybe yeah, they did yeah. that. But I'm just talking about because there's a lot of it where oh, they're the interior, interior yeah. shots yeah. and like, but um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Matthew McConaughey and and his battalion chew up scenery. Yeah, and I I love that. You don't. This is one of those rare films where there's no time travel. And it's not yep. fantasy, so to speak, but it's just what would happen with modern weapons and technology versus dragons. Right. And it takes it very seriously. Yeah. It, it doesn't poke fun at the concept. It doesn't uh, play with it. It's just these are really frightening, gigantic, difficult to bring down beasts. Yeah. And I um, like the, the story arc of of like where it goes by the yeah. end and what they're realizing about these dragons. Yeah. And also the, the um, war tactics against them is really fun. Yeah. And even though they are armed with the most recent, you know, high powered weaponry, like it's still kind of no match for these yeah. things. And that's really fun. And um, I love the whole angle of, you know, Christian Bale and his, his merry men who mm-hmm. have been bunkered down in this, um, in this castle feel like there's no, there's nothing you you can't kill one. Yeah. And I love that, you know, Matthew McConaughey rolls in with his troops and is like, "No, we've been killing them this whole yeah. time and like this is how we're doing it." But even then, as experienced as they are, yeah. it's stuff like jumping out and they're oh, they're yeah. falling and just gone. Yeah, eaten. yeah. Wham. What do they call um, themselves? It's like the <sighs> because they're like the 18th second or I forget, I don't know. But yeah, yeah it's, it's just that because that's how long they live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and there are things like that that keep that danger alive. It's not like they're rolling in with superior weaponry and suddenly it's easy pickings. Um and so there's there's real tension and and real stakes, I feel like. And they don't have to be I know it goes a little bit world stakes. But really, it's just these people and stakes of protecting their home and protecting their own and protecting their family. And um, it's just, I, I don't know. I really dug it. I really like, I do like how they built in that, like the world stakes, but in a very small yeah. way. And it and it makes sense to the story. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't feel out of character to what has been going on the rest of the film. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I was. I'm, I don't know why, like. 
I don't. I don't think I was surprised because I've liked this so many times before when I've watched it. But I was a little worried that I, something in me has turned that I, like I realize like, well, oh, that's why this is forty yeah. percent. Like, no, I don't understand why this is so low. I think it should honestly have this cult following, and uh, like this would be a movie would be fun to see like a sequel. Yeah, like with yeah. like kind of. Um, you know, like a, a different troop of people, uh, World War Z style, who yeah. have been surviving this thing in a, yeah. in, in different means. That, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, I'd I'd be all in for that. Yeah, it or did a not make any money. No, so no. I'm sure it'll never reappear. No, but, but that would just, like it's like prime for some. Like I feel like if it hit at a different point in time, maybe yeah. it would have got the traction yeah, it needed. I, I agree. Uh, our next film is One Hour Photo. This is from director uh, Mark Romanek. And this stars uh, Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams, in a very dark, dramatic role. It also has Connie Nielsen, uh, Michael Varton, Eric LaSalle. Gary Cole. Uh, Gary Cole uh, and some other notable faces. But uh, this is about, uh, well, it's a, a psychological thriller. And it's about Cy Parrish, who runs a one-hour photo-developing lab in a small mall. He's a perfectionist about his work and generous to his customers, uh, including a typical family headed by Will Yorkin. Over the years, he's seen their family grow, but rather than being a sweet part of their relationship, he's something more sinister. Clint, what did you think of one-hour photo? When it uh, came out, this was like a shining point in film for me in that year like i i was in awe of robin williams performance and like i said with um uh, philip seymour hoffman like since his passing since um mm -hmm. robin williams passing i haven't really watched anything with mm -hmm. him again i i don't know i it's maybe something i should get better about but um so I was curious to see if this still held up to how I remembered it and how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. And and I think this was one of those films where I was realizing that horror can be different things, not just gore. It can be, you know, psychological mm -hmm. and uh, performance based and go in different avenues. And this was one of those that kind of turned me on to that. And um, I think it still holds up really, really well. I think his performance is one of his best and most interesting as far as like doing something outside of the box of what he, like he started doing more interesting, like diverse things mm -hmm. as his career went on. Yeah. Um, but I, it still gets under my skin because he is so convincingly, you know, sweet to the, to this family and um, this wife and husband, but also you can just see this thing in his eyes that is so uncomfortable um, that it's very believable. Um, and it had, like I said, it had been a while since I've seen this, so I kind of forgot the second half of this and mm -hmm. um, how it escalates and where it gets to. But it also doesn't escalate to a point of absurdity yeah. or like it, it feels, you know, true to the character and kind of what you gather from him mm -hmm. as a person um, that you, you never kind of stop, you know, feeling some kind of 
connection to him mm-hmm. as a character, even though you are also kind of repulsed by him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this one still holds up for me great. What, what did you think about it? Uh, it held up for me as well. I have never been so happy about the development of digital photo technology <laughs> as I was when revisiting, because it, it really does get under your skin. And especially if you you came about in an era where the only way to have photos and in any sort of permanence was to go and get them developed. And you don't know who's back there developing them. Just that simple concept gives this so much power. Oh, and, yeah. And so much uh, just just story meat. Um, I also found it really interesting that this came out the same year as Insomnia, mm-hmm. uh, where he oh, also right. plays, yeah. um, you know, kind of a quite the quite the creepy guy. And that one, he's a serial killer. Uh, or he's he's the beginning of a serial killer. Mm. Um but it was interesting to me because I also revisited Insomnia, mm. and I I watched this, and I I watched them almost back to back, day to day. Uh-huh. And one hour <clears throat> photo, I I would argue he's not evil; he's unhinged; he's mentally yeah, ill, right? And that's much more clear that this is this is someone who's been damaged; they are broken for sure, and they don't understand what they're doing. But they're not a sociopath, no. Whereas Insomnia you're getting a picture of of evil. And so it would be very easy to to kind of take those two performances and compare them and say Robin Williams is doing similar things. He's not at all. And especially when you watch both of them, you see just how much nuance he would put into uh, his dramatic work. Mm-hmm. And um, it it just, it it holds up. It's it's a very unsettling thing. Um and it it never goes. It reminded me a lot of Red Dragon, okay. where you know, kind of the serial killer in Red Dragon uh, picks his victims because he works in a film lab and he mm-hmm. develops the photos and everything. But that's one that gets very salacious and and traditional yeah. thriller. This one does not. This right. one this one continually felt a little too real uh, for my comfort. Yeah. And it, it, like I said, like when I was saying that he, you kind of see something behind his eyes, it's not, I don't know. It's kind of a, more of a desperation yeah. than an evil. And also it's in his performance, which makes it creepy is just how awkward he is yeah. and convincingly awkward. Yeah. And also the thing that grabbed me this time um, and maybe when I saw it originally, but after watching um, Minority Report and just mm-hmm. how like bland and bleak that film looks, this one, I love that the director and cinematographer were playing mm-hmm. with color and there's moments of just like color to emphasize things and But it emotions. lends itself to this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I think, I honestly think that more filmmakers should explore like especially there's just been a string of so many bland looking um unsaturated films that color can be a tool that you use in a vibrant way too not just yeah. stripping it out for some you know emotional um you know underscoring this it has color in it too but you are you know, still feeling the uncomfortable nature of this character and mm-hmm. in the like horror moments. And I, I just think color should be, you know, embraced. Yeah. <laughs> it makes more a much more interesting, you know, viewing experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, and definitely this is another one uh, that, that didn't age nearly as much other than the fact that 
you know, everybody's getting their photos developed. Uh, but it, it really did not age other than that little That was a nostalgic, of, yeah, nostalgic thing for me. Like, yeah. just I wish I could still do that. Just yeah. go to the store and, like, take my film. Well, I mean, you can take your phone and have Sam's Club or That's Walmart lame. I want off. It's not. It's lame. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> our final 2002 film is uh, Road to Perdition. This is from director Sam Mendes, and this is uh, uh, based on the graphic novel of the same name. Uh, and just a little note, this is uh, with music by Thomas Newman. I love the soundtrack in this movie. And it's about Mike Sullivan, played by Tom Hanks. He's an enforcer for a powerful Depression-era Midwestern mobster, John Rooney, who's played by Paul Newman. And Rooney's son, Connor, Daniel Craig, is uh, jealous of the close bond they share. When Mike's eldest son, Michael, witnesses a hit, Connor uses the incident as an, in as an excuse to murder Sullivan's wife. Forced to flee, Sullivan and Michael set out on a journey of revenge and self-discovery. Uh, Clint, I have loved this movie for a long, long time. Uh, I watch this often. What do you think of Road to Perdition? Um, when it came out, I really loved this film. But, all, but kind of for a strange reason of I just liked the um, atmosphere and tone of this mm -hmm. of it. And I honestly couldn't even remember the story that well. Really? Um, because I don't know. It was just a point where, like, I think I try, I would always try to watch this film and fall asleep. Gotcha. And I would wake up at moment, like, by the end. And there, it's just, um, this is a, as much of it is a plotting film, mm -hmm. there, it's also a tonal work, mm -hmm. like, it's a tonal piece. And this time, like, it had been quite a few years since I'd watched it. And I've always, like, had it's had a you know I've had a soft spot in my heart for it, and so this time to actually like really take in the story and remember what was happening in it. Um, honestly, I think the first time I saw this in the theater because I think I went with a friend, I fell asleep halfway through it, and not <laughs> you're not talking up this movie very well, Clint. And no, it wasn't any fault <laughs> of the film at all. It was like I had been you know up late the yeah, night before, yeah. and and I just didn't make it through, but. That I mean, that's the power of this film that like I knew there was something worthwhile to it, even though I was falling asleep during it. <laughs> like there there was something in it. And um, it, this movie is fantastic. It, it's from every angle, like the acting. This is one of Tom Hanks' best performances oh, and yeah. most interesting because he's on that thin line between good and evil. Like he's a he's a. I mean, for the time period, a decent family man and father, especially in the line of work he is of, as this enforcer, he's there for his family. Um, but also, he's just really convincing as this enforcer guy. He's ruthless, too. Yeah, he's, yeah. There's there's two very distinct sides to him. Yeah. And also, the thing that I um, was really noticing was Paul Newman is fantastic mm. in it. And mm. you would think of an actor at this point in his life who has, you know, gone through and worked in so many different time periods of film um, that maybe he would come across as, you know, wor like working from a different, you know, acting style or mm -hmm. something. But no, he's just as fresh yeah. and a, a part of this, like he doesn't feel out of place in any way. And there's no, like, I mean, it's probably silly for me to even have that thought, but like 
he's so good yeah. in this film. And the sadness. Yeah. With what he knows he has to do. Right, right. Uh, or what he has to order. It's just, it it really just hangs on him and you can feel it. Yeah. Uh, just the disappointment and the just, uh those moments are heartbreaking to me. Even though you know this is a he's a gangster. It's he's not a, a not a good guy, so to speak. Right. Yeah, but I mean, like you you're rooting for him to kind of side with you know Tom Hanks' character yeah, yeah. because of the connection that they do have. But yeah. you know the lo- loyalty that he has is to his own son, even yeah. though his son is an ass. Yeah. And like, he knows he probably shouldn't be, but like, it's family, it's blood, you can't. Yeah. yeah. And um, the thing that also was really striking to me um, was the, um, and I wrote this, the uh, the use of sound in music. Um, there are scenes where music will take over for sound and sound mm-hmm. is completely cut out. And there's the opposite where sound, there's no music at all. And I'm thinking of that last segment of the film. Yep. Um, there's, yeah, there's no music and just sound is washing over you. And it's the, the waves in the distance the waves and the wind. And and there's, and, uh, there's other yeah. examples of it throughout. Yeah. And that's the thing I probably just lulled me to sleep all mm. those times. And what made me love it, that, that um that experience of just sound is so beautiful in this yeah. film. And I think, like I said with color, I mean, that's another tool that can be used to um different degrees of taking it out and putting it back in. Um can it be a lot more interesting than uh what was it that I was recently talking about where it was just this bombardment of music the entire film. That was um Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, exactly. Take a lesson from this film and use sound and um, music to varying degrees throughout to make a point and paint your image um, in different ways. It's amazing what it can do. So what did you think? (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie. Just um, There's there's so much in this movie I didn't even mention. You haven't even mentioned. Jude Law's Assassin. Oh, he's so great. It it's such a a weird but uh, eccentric, yeah. Uh, but but just fascinating character, and uh, he's almost eccentric to the level of like a Bond villain, almost. But yeah, but still fitting in this yep. story and believable. Yep. But it's just one more performance in in a string of performances. Oh, yeah. The the boy. He's great. Um, Tyler Tyler, Yes, he actually, he's grown up to be Superman on the CW. Oh, right. Uh, But uh, incredible kid performance. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Craig could be playing this very cartoonish. He's not. I think he delivers a a believable hothead that's, when I go back and I watch The Godfather, I love The Godfather. It's an incredible movie. But uh, James Caan's Sonny occasionally feels too over the top. Mm -hmm. He feels a little too, he'll just suddenly explode. Yeah into rage and and daniel craig is is a more interesting hot-headed gangster yeah, son yeah yeah uh than i think some of those kind of classic examples and it's fun seeing him play kind of this dimwit yeah. like a numbskull rather yeah. like he is just after his own self-interest especially with i don't know just seeing other performances yeah. of him and just seeing at this point in his career how like 
he can do just so many different things. It's amazing. Yeah. He it's 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 full Joffrey from from Game of Thrones, where it's this character that literally everyone hates. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. even the parental figures. Yeah, they hate this person, but they have to tolerate him. Right for for a variety of reasons. He's even the king's he goes, son. Yeah, even when he goes and <laughs> hides out in in Chicago or whatever. Yeah. He's protected. And you can tell they hate him. Yeah. They hate yeah. protecting this guy. And and that's really interesting too. It's there's there's this really um almost samurai-esque honor code right. to this entire cast of yeah. characters. And they're all having to choose what they don't want to do because that honor weighs higher than what the right thing to right. do, quote unquote, is. This, um oh, sorry. No, no, no. It just it it doesn't pull punches. It it does not uh, you know, wilt away from kind of the reality of of what it would be right. to to be in in a violent life, and um, just we haven't even touched on the the theme of of the son kind of having to grow up too early by witnessing all of this right at its most extreme. He and how it just, shapes his future and yeah. his and what he decisions yeah. he makes for himself. Yeah. He doesn't just witness his father. <laughs> In, in this warehouse, that's that's just the start of what this kid has to process and adjust to. And I love how they play it because so often in movies, it's something where something crazy happens and you don't have that feeling that the characters are actually having to process and adjust to right. the new reality. This is one, and I think any movie that does this right automatically goes up a level. Yeah. But this is one where you watch them struggle and have to evolve and adapt to new information and and new things. And it's not as simple as like, what? There's a monster. Okay, well, let's fight it. Right. Um, you know, it's it's much more much more subtle than that. Yeah, realizing your father is this thing that you didn't know about. Yeah. But also you still love him yep. and you're still getting the same kind of a, you know— feedback and affection from him that you were before and you're realizing he's yeah. these multiple layered uh, person and you're realizing that your mother and brother is gone right because of the life he chose so you love this man but also you're... in the thing that you are a part of now and witnessed yep. like you're holding that over your own head of is this my fault yeah um the thing that i wanted to say was this could have easily in it like almost has the setup of that what we were talking about with Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. of it could have been over sentimental yeah. and um could have you know pulled the punch at the end um but this doesn't and it it plays with that idea but it goes all in on it you know yeah. you know what i mean like there easily this movie could have had a, a sentimental ending where yep. they go off in their uh, live their lives uh, and honestly, on the beach and yeah. uh, just, you know, father and son. But the reality of the situation, the film catches up like it should. And it pays off so much more. And, I mean, especially the last couple lines of what mm -hmm. um, uh, Tyler Hoechlin's the, the, the son says um, is so impactful, especially after what you've seen that character mm -hmm. go through. Yeah. And what his dad has... <clears throat> knowingly, but that was not the plan, but he's knowingly spared him from, uh, right. even in his last breath. It, it's it's the idea of, like, I've got to protect you from this. This this is not the life I want for you. I yeah. never wanted this life for you. And even in my dying breath, I, I refuse to let you 
have to have this life or even start down yeah. the path of, of this kind of stuff. I mean, Amir, especially against, you know, Paul Newman yeah. and Daniel yeah. Craig's father and son, it's yep. all about father and sons and yeah. what you would do, even though one is deserving and one really is not. <laughs> and even the warm moments between Tom Hanks and, and his son, I mean, it's it's still relatively cold. It's still, he is not just this great dad who understands what to oh, do in yeah. this situation. But uh, I mean, he's, he's still this gruff, stoic, largely silent and introverted dad who doesn't understand much beyond protect son, provide for son, you know, teach son necessary skills for life. I honestly, survival. well, I kind of didn't see it that way. And okay. I was looking at it more of like, this time period and mm. just the relationship between fathers and sons. Mm. And like, that is kind of the baseline of what you were just saying of just like no. preparing them for life. But I feel like in those scenes where there is a little bit of, you know, bonding and sentimentality between the two of them, that's hmm. a lot for him. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that's more he's than breaking I, social norms. Yeah. 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 And I think he's, he is showing as much affection hmm. that, probably more than he ever received when he yeah. was a kid, especially with probably how he ended up in this line yeah. of work. I didn't even think of that. That's that, you know, kids are to be seen and not heard right. mentality that's yeah. largely gone now. And I, I forgot how much of, of that time period was defined. The family dynamics were defined by, you know, the kids are at the table, the parents might talk, yeah. but it's a very yes, sir, yes, ma'am, clean up your plate. Mm -hmm. You know, go get ready, wash up for for bed yep. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I adore this movie. Uh, like I said, I watch it, uh, you know, pretty frequently. Um, hadn't watched it since before COVID. I know that, but uh, it just it's it's a really fine film. Yeah. Uh, so Road to Perdition. If you have not seen this movie. Uh, not a frame of this thing has aged. It is a wonderful movie. It could come out in theaters tomorrow. Yeah, uh, you know, and and just be incredible. Uh, one hour photo, very unsettling. Uh, Robin Williams' dramatic performance, really good movie, uh, and a different kind of horror, a different yep. kind of thriller. Reign of Fire, great fun, and uh, far more of a of a legitimate film than a guilty pleasure. Yeah. And I both agree on that one. And then Minority Report. Minority Report disappointed. I know a lot of people love it, but it just, I I didn't love it at the time and I love it uh, way less now. And it just. I always just want to love it flat. more than I do. Yep. And I'm always disappointed that I don't. And yep. the same thing with AI. I just like, there's things I really love about this, but it just doesn't deliver how I want it to. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our favorite 2002 movies. I think mm -hmm. we both have kind of a top 10 list. Do you yeah. want to start with yours? Um, yeah, I'm just going to like, uh, do you want me to go through all of them? Yeah, sure. Right. Just just kind of go down the line. If there's one we haven't talked about, you can yeah, say a I, few things. Uh, these are in no particular order, but... Oh, boo. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, just happenstance, this one probably would be my favorite for the year, mm -hmm. and this is Punch Drunk Love. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I need to watch it again. It's one of my favorite. It was one of my defining experiences at a cinema yeah. where I went um, with my buddy Josh and I was so excited about this. I really, it wasn't, it was before I was, you know, deep in Paul Thomas Anderson, like, and I, um, 
was interested to see Adam Sandler do something outside of, you know, his more zany comedic roles. I, yeah. I thought that casting was so interesting. And I just remember watching this befuddled and amazed <laughs> at it mm -hmm. and laughing hysterically, like, like somebody made a comedy for me finally and thinking it was the leaving we left and I we were, I was like on the top of the mountain I was so excited that I had just seen this thing mm -hmm. walking out and there I don't think there were very many people in the theater with us M maybe only a couple other couples or something in hearing this woman going to the manager and wanting her money back oh. yeah even after watching all of it yeah. and I remember me and Josh going up like no do not give that woman her money back <laughs> that movie we were like that movie was fantastic <laughs> do not give her money back and uh, the boldness of youth yeah but yeah. but I stand by that because this is one of the like Oh, it's a fantastic film. I, I should have watched it this past week, and I completely forgot about it. I haven't watched it since it first came yeah. out, even though I've bought Criterion editions, yeah, yeah. and I bought it on Blu-ray, and I still just, I got to watch it again. It, this is, yeah, I didn't rewatch it either, and I need to. And it's almost one of those, like, we the, a dangerous banger for me, yeah. because just that, ex because I know it's going to hold up, because... You know, I my, I love Paul Thomas Anderson's films, yeah. but at the same time, that experience of seeing it and seeing something so fresh and new, um, I I'm afraid to you know have that diminished in yeah. any way. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next thing uh, I already talked about was Love Liza. Mm -hmm. Um, or I already talked about one hour one hour photo. Um, I already talked about adaptation, so these are all on my list. Um, the next thing is Spirited Away. Spirited Away was 2002? Yeah, yeah. that was 2002. Oh, as far as when no. we got it, maybe. But okay. it, um, I'm pretty sure it, everywhere I saw it said 2002. I love Spirited um, Away. And it's it's one I probably, I didn't see it that year because I wasn't mm -hmm. into Miyazaki heavily until later. Um, and it's one that I... Um, was kind of grew on me the more and more I watched it. Mm -hmm. And it's might, I don't know if it's my favorite, but because I, it's up there. It's up there. It's so good. Um, the next thing on my list was The Pianist. Oh, okay. Um, with Adrian Brody. Mm -hmm. And this is one I haven't, re I've watched it a couple times, but this is another one where like, just I love the tone of that and just uh, this man kind of, you know, surviving um, in this horrible situation. I, I, I think his performance is so good and believable. Um, uh, the next thing was The Born Identity. Mm -hmm. The original. The original the OG Born mm -hmm. Identity. I love that the whole series of mm -hmm. those films. Yeah. Um, Panic Room. David oh, Fincher. Yeah. Um, that's another one I saw in the theater and like was when I was, you know, piecing together directors work, you mm -hmm. know, like through and like seeing through lines between what they do from one film to the other. And mm -hmm. um, I, I know I, when was, oh yeah, I had seen Fight Club probably by that point. Fight Club was 99. Yeah, yeah. And the game was 97, something like 96. Yeah. I hadn't seen the game at that point, but okay. I, I I knew going in, I was like, oh, this is by the director of Fight Club. And then just like, you know, realizing like, oh, he's doing similar things with cinematography mm -hmm. and like 
pacing and things like that. Um, uh, I haven't watched it in a while. I'm, I should probably just see if it holds up. Road to Perdition. Mm -hmm. And then, um, is this another Spielberg? Catch me if you can. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's a it's a Spielberg where the sentiment works. works. It's yeah, meant yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, that's that's a fun movie. Okay. Yeah, oh, that's a good list. Uh, here's mine. They are in order because I put in the extra work. Oh. Uh, number one, Road to Perdition. No surprise there. Number two, The Two Towers. Uh, oh, I forgot from about that. Lord one. of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not only my favorite of the three films, but I just I love that movie. It's it's just perfect fantasy. Probably the only thing all these years later, even that I could nitpick at, is the the look of the Ents. Uh, there's some there's some rough FX in there, but I love the two towers. And still, when Gandalf comes up over the hill and the sun comes down with him, right uh -huh. at the end, oh, I tear up like religiously every time. Just yeah. cannot cannot not tear up at that. Number three is a, a little horror flick called Frailty. Mm. Um, that's that's a very small cast. It's Bill Paxton, two young actors who probably grew up to be something bigger, Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth. And uh, great little flick holds up. I watched that, uh, you know, in the last two weeks, and I was pleasantly surprised mm. at, at how well uh, that kind of came together. It's about a dad who convinces his two young sons that like i i see demons and they yeah. look like people but they're demons and we got to kill them mm -hmm. and the kids one of the kids is is grown up to uh you know be a killer of demons quote unquote himself and the other one is going to the police station to you know kind of uh, talk to the the sheriff about his brother because he needs it to stop right uh number four brazil's city of god uh, is oh, right. a incredible, uh, yeah. I'm using incredible a lot, but man, this is a good movie here. Uh, City of God, it's it's just about street gangs and has one of the most iconic still frames you will ever see. It's this little eight-year-old gangster holding this giant hand cannon and <laughs> laughing maniacally. You have definitely seen that picture. Number five is the remake of Solaris with George Clooney. Uh, still really, really enjoy that movie. I think the original is better. It's 100% um, better. It's 100% better. Yeah. I was going to say it's like 10% no, better. No, it's 100% better. It's 10% better. No. It's, like a, it's like a slice of pizza above. No. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. All right. Uh, number six, Insomnia from Christopher mm -hmm. Nolan um, with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Hero, uh, which is a, a an early Jet Li, I think it was one of his earlier introductions into the country, um, but it's a Chinese film. Love it. It's gorgeous. Uh, it is definitely one that'll put you to sleep if you're not braced for it, but it's really good. Mm. Uh, Igby Goes Down is number seven. Number eight is the only movie on here I would never, ever watch again. It is Irreversible. irreversible. <laughs> It's an incredible movie. It, yeah. it, like, if we're just looking at quality of film, it should probably be higher up my list. Um, but again, I watched this once. It is seared into my brain. Yeah. I could call it up in my brain and watch it again if I needed to. I don't. Uh, it, it's harrowing and, and awful and unflinching, but it, it tells an incredible story in reverse. There's incredible again. It tells an excellent, no, it's not an excellent story. It tells a fantastic. No, it's not. It's it's too dark for that. It tells a very disarming and okay. disquieting. There we go. Uh, story in reverse uh, of a woman's rape and uh, kind of the the retribution that that her boyfriend and his friend uh, kind of undertake to avenge her. But it just oof, 
man, that movie. Number nine is Born Identity. And then number 10, I hadn't watched it. I went back and watched it. Mothman Prophecies. That's from 2002? 2002. Oh, man, I 100% you were right when you told me. No, it actually holds up really well. Oh, man, I I probably would have been on my list if I remembered that. Loved Mothman Prophecies. Uh, And then just a couple of honorable mentions about a boy. 28 Days Later, Adaptation. 28 Trish- Days Later is from 2002? 28 Days Later. Uh, <laughs> I told you I was going to have some glaring emissions. Right, that right. would have been on my list. Treasure Planet and Lilo and Stitch, uh, which don't get enough Disney love. Dog Soldiers, One Hour Photo, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, 25th Hour, Perfect Blue, and The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. Perfect Blue is a, a really yeah. twisty anime. We, we've that, talked about it. Yeah. It's so that, good. Uh, has a lot of similarities to Black Swan. Um, but is is really good. So that's that's my list. And uh, again, Road to Perdition is the takeaway from this entire episode because, goodness, I love it. All right, so uh, we're going to have to flip this thing back on. But uh, you know, Cinetron uh, demands that that we spin up the Cinetron and see what we're watching next week. So uh, let's power we're, this up. We're court mandated to do this. We're so. court, <laughs> we're court mandated. We're court mandated to turn Cinetron on long enough for a spin. I will turn it off shortly after. Uh, so spin up Cinetron, Clint, and let's see what we're watching next. All right. Ken. That was a long pause. All right, Ken. Have you heard of a little movie called Piggy from 2022? Uh, this is, it's a, a Spanish horror flick, isn't it? I, uh, this Ooh. says language Spanish. Oh, there you go. I, I remember it very vaguely. I don't, I don't think I've seen a, a trailer for it. I just, I remember getting some, some decent buzz. You want me to read the description? Sure, go for it. Sarah is an overweight teen who witnesses a strange kidnap uh, of a clique of girls who bully her on a regular basis. <laughs> okay, I like the premise when, already. Yeah, when police start uh, asking questions, Sarah keeps quiet as uh, she's torn between revealing the truth and protecting the man who saved her. Perfect. I, I okay. I'm I'm all in on this. That's yeah. that's a great little premise. Yeah. I I like the idea behind it. So yeah, sure. Uh, piggy, and uh, we'll be going into October, so it'll be a good time to just start shifting into kind of horror movies. Yeah, just and, all horror. Okay. Yeah, I would really like you to watch Talk to Me. I will, and uh, that would definitely be one I think we could discuss next if week. It was even Im- if you hate it. If it was important enough for you to break our twenty uh, two thousand two uh, mandate, um... I, I don't recall this. I recall <laughs> talking about the two towers for three minutes and 27 seconds. Did I bl- like just black out for a second? I think so. I, like, I, think, just... I think you're remembering me talking to you about it before we recorded. I would never, ever break the fundamental rules of the Cinebabble uh, universe. It must have been enough of something for Cinetron to just bust in whatever he wanted to I, there at I the beginning. So, so, you know. Um, so, uh, as what always, f- you wait. can... Wait, it's time to hit the pause button what? on another episode of Cinebabble. <laughs> 
That's what? Right. This isn't us? Hold on, let me turn it off. Why is it... You said if you flip that switch, it wouldn't I turned turn it off. Nothing's happening. Well, Hold on a second. Wait. Let's... Let's see where this goes. Uh, let's see where it goes? Yeah. It's using our voices. I mean, it's not perfect. I don't know if they'll actually believe it's us. Oh, Clint, this is... This is a dark road you're taking us down. This is a but journey I don't know that you're ready to, to, to take. But we don't have to finish out the podcast. We can go get a drink or something. That does sound like a wonderful use of AI. Okay. All right. It's doing its job. Well, folks, it's time to hit the pause button on another episode of Cinebabble. That's right, Ken. We hope you had as much fun as we did revisiting those cinematic gems from yesteryears. And hey, if you didn't, well, we won't ask for a refund of your time. Ha, <laughs> I absolutely remember in 2002, we had DVDs, not streaming. So if you want to keep this nostalgia train roll, roll, rolling, dust off your old DVD collection. And don't forget, in 2002, we all survived Y2K, so anything is possible. Until next time, keep watching those classics, and who knows, maybe someday we'll get a Cinebabble 2002, the sequel podcast. You never know, Clint. Thanks for tuning in, all. Until next time, may your screen be silver, your plot twist be thrilling, and your film collection ever-expanding. This is Clint and Ken signing off. From Cinebabble. Ha 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 